BBS was a riot. It was so much fun. I had the opportunity to do games, and man, got a little bit too wet. It was awesome. It was awesome. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke uh, 9. Luke 9. We'll be in verse 18 through 27. And as you do so, uh, join me in prayer. God, Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you. We know your word is, is perfect, and you are here this morning. God, and I just pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts, that you would um, help us to know and understand all that you want us to know and understand. And this concept about following you as we explore it this morning, I know it's not easy. Um, and I just pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us a clear vision and know-how on how to follow you. So God, I just pray that you'd stand in my body this morning, that you'd give me your words to share um, as we unpack what it looks like to follow you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, Luke 9, 18 through 27. Um, and if we haven't met, my name is Josh Hinkin, pastor of high school and young adults here at First Cove. And it's just an honor to be able to open up God's word together and explore it together um, if you were with us two Sundays ago, we talked about identity. We talked about the question, who are you? Who am I? And we looked at the story of the compassionate father and his two sons. And we saw that we are children, son and daughters of God. Last week, we explored belonging. Who, and who do you belong to? And we saw the story at the woman at the well. And the idea is that we belong in the family of God. And so this morning... We're going to talk about our purpose, our mission. What is your purpose? What is your mission? And so before we open up and read from God's Word, I just want to set the stage just a little bit on what is your purpose and mission. Um, and you've heard of Aristotle. He um, is a very well-known uh, Western theologian, theologian, not theologian, but he's a philosopher and science guy, and he went and, ta and tackled the best he can this question, what is the ultimate purpose of human existence? At the, core of the, at the core of human existence, what is the ultimate purpose? And so this is what he's quoted by saying, that happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life. The whole aim and end of human existence. Happiness depends on ourself. He says that happiness is the central purpose of a human life and a goal in itself is happiness. So there are people out there have been st struggling and, and studying what it looks like to have purpose. And Aristotle says it's, it's happiness. And there's other people out there that says um, your purpose, your mission in life is to be the best version of yourself. And then there's other people out there saying that the, the purpose and mission to life is that there is no purpose and mission at all. And so we have this idea of happiness, and his focus is the happiness that's within yourself. It's all about you and your happiness. That is the purpose and mission in life, according to Aristotle. But then, have you... You've, probably have read the book The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. You remember that book? Anybody? I was trying to find it on my shelf. I couldn't find it. But the first chapter, it says, Rick Warren says, it all starts with God, and it's not about you. 
And so then you promptly close the book and like, I'm not going to read that. It's not about me, right? Anybody? Okay. So it starts with God and it's not about you. Colossians 1.16 says this, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started with him and in him and finds its purpose in him, in him being Jesus. Everything starts with the creator God. That the purpose of your life is far greater than our happiness. The purpose of our life is far greater than our peace of mind, our own fulfillments, maybe even your family, your career. That if you want to know who and why you are placed on this planet, we must start with God. For he created you. He is the creator It's interesting because many times I get puzzled, right? You and I get puzzled. What is our purpose in life? And we usually start with what do I want to be or who do I want to become or what is my mission? What is my dream? What is my purpose? And it so quickly centers around who? Around you or around me. And it's true that you won't discover life's meaning by looking within yourself. You'll discover life's meaning by looking to the creator, Jesus Christ. That is only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our purpose. So this morning, Scripture says this, that it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. And this morning, I just want to look and zoom in on our purpose that is simple as this, but as hard as this. It is the mission and purpose of every Christian is to live as a follower of Jesus. And you could almost go even further and say the purpose and mission of every human being on this earth is to live as a follower of Jesus. And so our focus here is we want to look at Luke 9 and define the relationship. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And then simply have an invitation to follow. And then lastly, what does it actually look like to follow him? So as we define the relationship, look at Luke 9, 18 through 27. We'll read it together. I'll read it out loud. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, or God the Messiah. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Verse 23, then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it? For a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very soul. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste uh, death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. 
Isn't it tough to read? You see that a little bit? It gets a little bit uncomfortable. And as we unpack it, it might get a little bit uncomfortable this morning. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so I just want to look back at it, and we just want to start with Peter. Because Peter asks, or Peter answers, who do you say I am? Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. There were three that were hanging with him pretty close, and Peter was one of them, of the twelve. And Peter gets called. Here's the origin when Peter gets called to be a disciple of Jesus. In Matthew, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And listen to this. At once they left their nets and followed him. They left their nets. Peter, being called to follow Jesus, his job was to be a fisherman. He wasn't just going out to cast a net just to hang out and catch some fish as a hobby. This was his job. And here comes this rabbi, here comes Jesus coming up to Peter saying, Hey, I've got something for you. Come follow me. And he just leaves everything. He's just like, I'm done with it. I'm going to follow this man that says, come follow me. So that starts his relationship with this man named Jesus. And over the years, he spends time with him. And we get to a point where Jesus says, who do you say I am? Over the many years, the one year, the two year, He says, you are Christ. You are the Messiah. You are King. You are my leader. You are Lord. The Messiah, in Jewish history, the Christ, Messiah, is the promised Savior from the line of David who will accomplish God's end-time salvation and establish God's eternal kingdom in justice and righteousness. How did Peter know that this Jesus Christ was God the Messiah? By what he was doing. He was doing miracles. He was saying things that were in line with what Scripture in the Old Testament was prophesying. And so what Jesus sees is this man, Jesus, was doing things and saying things. And when when Jesus calls Peter here, says, come follow me, he just leaves his nets and goes. There's a proximity thing about following Jesus. He didn't really know who this man was all about, but he just went and followed and followed and followed and followed. And so now we have a point where Peter says, I say that you are Lord. You are the Messiah. I've been following you. I've been following you, and I see it. I know it. And now with words, I identify who you are as the Messiah. So what's happening here? As I see it, Peter is defining the relationship he has with Jesus. Not just by actions, but also by words. He's saying, you are the Messiah. Have you ever had to define the relationship with Jesus? Some people shorten it and say DTR. Have you had a DTR talk, a define the relationship talk, to talk about your level of commitment? Most of the times, if you have this in a relationship with somebody, you go on that first date, the second date, the third date, there's a moment in which you have to define the relationship to identify if you are a boyfriend, girlfriend, or if you're a couple. Like, where are you in this relationship? So my wife and I, in March 8, many years ago, uh, we had our first date together. It was set up. It was a blind date. It was great. And it was a triple date with couples from youth group. 
parents, parents of the kids of youth group. And so we went to the Griffins game. We talked. We got to know each other a little bit better. That was the moment in which we met each other. And we got to, oh, this is cool. And so I liked her. Like, I wanted more. I wanted to see what she was all about. So I thought, let's go on a second date. And so for me, why not go skiing, right? That's the best second date thing you could do. So as someone who has gone three times in his life, this was not a thing to do, by the way, on the second. And with someone, my wife Emily, who's gone once or twice, it was, it was just a disaster. It was so bad. So we get our skis and we go to the bunny hill and some people are starting to teach us how to like do the pizza thing and like how to slow down and make it work. And so it was good. And then we, we got this. So, you know, you go up that like ski lift up to the mountain. Well, in Cannonsburg, it's just like a foothill, right? You know what I'm talking about? Well, they don't tell you how to get off the ski lift. This is the problem. So here I am, and here's my wife. Well, not, well, she was, we were dating. But and here's Emily, and we're just like, okay, so you just get off, right? Like, there's a point where you slide off. But they don't tell you that you want to lean forward and kind of like attack it, right? So I lean back, she leans back, I go off to the right, she goes off to the left, and she falls down at the top of the ski lift, and then also I fall down. It was, I thought, okay, this is great. This can't get any better than this. Talk about being humbled, right? And so I'm falling down. I can't get up. Like, I don't know how. And the ski lift is coming back around above my head. And so you have these pros just coming down, sliding around you, looking at you, laughing a little bit. And I'm just like, okay, I got to take off my skis. I got to, like, scoot. Okay, it was great. But it wasn't great. It wasn't. Like, it was just. So there we got to know each other a little bit better. We learned that we don't go skiing together probably ever again. But what happened is we started to get to know each other better and better. We've had talks and coffee, and there was this moment in which we had to define our relationship. We had to say, what is our level of commitment? Are we going to go out? Are we going to be boyfriend? Are we going to be dating? And so we get to a point where, you know, we go hiking on top of the sand dunes. We start looking out. And in my generation, if you post a picture on Facebook or Instagram, it's official. It's the big deal. Like, you guys are a couple. And if you get a little bit more special, like, in the Facebook about me, it's like in relationship with. And so we take a picture, and I don't know how to enter this DTR talk. So I basically said, so when's our picture going to get on Facebook? Because that was the only thing. I thought, man, if we're going to talk about how we're going to be dating, is our picture. So it hits Facebook, and it's official. So we start dating, right? That's our official moment. But we had to have this define the relationship talk about who we were together. And I wonder what it is for you and I to have a define the relationship talk with Jesus, identifying who he is as the Messiah. And now the next question is, how are we following Jesus? And this is where it gets a little bit tougher as we read a little bit more. Um, So he says, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, hey, you're the Messiah. And then what Jesus does is he says, or Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone at that moment. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus right here is just saying, hey, you've identified who I am, the Messiah, but this is what the Messiah is going to do. This is my mission. And I would just imagine the disciples like, oh boy, what do we sign ourselves up to? This is what Jesus, Jesus has to die. He's not going to be hanging with us forever. And then verse 23. So here's our invitation into a relationship with Jesus. That he speaks to these disciples, and I believe that he's speaking to us this morning. And it gets a little bit tough. It's tough. It says, 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what does this look like to follow Jesus in this way? I'll read it one more time because it's so good. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So I just want to unpack this just a little bit here. It says, if anyone. If anyone means as simple as, I didn't look up the definition, but it just means anyone. Like that means you, and that means me. It means no matter how old you are in this room, you're invited to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter how young you are in this room, you're invited to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past, you're invited to follow Jesus. Have you ever been, okay, maybe your couch is not the same as mine, but at my, at my house, you sit on the couch, and have, you flip up the, the, the cushion a little bit, and what do you usually find when you flip up the cushion? You might find some junk in there, but usually you find stains. At least at my house, you find some stains in the cushion. You know, like the time I was eating a chocolate bar, and it got down, and she's like, sat on it a little bit, and then it just got, it just, it was awkward, and then you try to like, like scrub it out, and then it just doesn't scrub out, and so what do you do? You just flip the cushion over so no one sees it. The problem is, when you start flipping them over a few extra times, then you're just like, I can't, I just have to get a new couch. But think of it this way. There are many times that you and I, we've fallen so short of the glory of God. Romans says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think, for me at least, there's many times where I'm just like, I've got so much junk and sin that it's just staining who I am and thinking that I'm not worthy, so I just try to scrub it out. And if I can't, I'll just flip it over so people don't see it. And the beautiful part of it is that we're all in the same boat together, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter your stain. It doesn't matter your stuff. It doesn't matter your past. You are someone that can follow Jesus. And Jesus is calling you to follow him. If anyone means anyone. So that means you and that means me, no matter what you've ever done in your life. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. If anyone would come after, what does it look like to come after Jesus? Think about that. Think about that in your own life. What does it mean to come after? And I, I mean, I just think about this. Like, first and second grade, right? Like, girls, for me, not a big, um, no. They have cooties. That's not a thing. I don't care at all. Right? So I just want to hang out with my do friends. Like, that would be fine. And maybe in middle school, too. Like, I just enjoyed hanging out with my friends. So we'd go on the playground together. We would do whatever together. And there would be one moment, and there was one moment, and Winch was like, oh, she looks pretty nice. Right? And then all of a sudden, my whole demeanor, hanging out with my guy friends over here and just doing whatever, riding bikes, all of a sudden it's like, okay, I, I'm... So I start wearing acts, you know what I'm saying? I write love letters, you know what I'm saying? There's other things around here that all of a sudden, you are now coming after this girl. And it's, a, it's like a passionate pursuit, right? It consumes my thinking. It consumes everything. I just want to know more about who she is. And all of a sudden, my guy friends are like, what's you doing, dude? Like, come on, what about us? But there was this passionate pursuit that I had for her. One that goes beyond anything else that could have held me back. And it's kind of this idea that you see as an example of Jesus Christ in his passionate pursuit to come after us.
The reason why we talk about these things is not because God needs or wants those things. It's because he wants you to come after him. He wants to give you the blessings that he has to passionately pursue him. One of the greatest motivations of our love and passionate pursuit of Jesus is better understanding of how God's love is so great for us and how he has done it for us. Being loved causes us to love back. As God loves us, we are called to love others in a passionate pursuit of him and other people. So the craziest come after story is when God the Father, or God put on flesh, Jesus Christ, came after us and died on the cross. One of the craziest come after stories. So if anyone, you or I, came after passionate pursuit, he must deny himself. He must deny himself. What does it look like to deny yourself? So I think about it this way. Um, anybody know the keto diet? A few people? Okay. So the keto diet is this diet in which you want to take in as many, as best as I understand, high fats and low, low carbs. And what happens is after you take in these high fats and low carbs, your body no longer burns this calorie, these carbs, and now they burn the fat. And it come, you get into a state of ketosis. That's what they call a ketosis. And it's a lifestyle you live. If you are looking to lose some weight, you want to look into the keto. But I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying it's a lifestyle you're supposed to live, not just one moment. So like for me, if I was doing the keto diet and I'm over here, you know, snacking on a brownie, right? That's not working for me. I have to be all in if I want to see results for this certain diet, I have to deny myself this beautiful brownie that I love so much so that I can be a part of what are they calling is ketosis. And I wonder what it looks like for you and for me to deny ourselves. The phrase deny ourselves isn't just the idea of saying no to yourself or even resisting yourself. The idea is that you do not even acknowledge or recognize really who you are. You lay down who you are to see who Jesus is. To deny yourself means to give up your autonomy, gives up yourself for the sake of Jesus. So what does that look like to deny yourself? And this is where I wrestle I'm wrestling and wrestling. What does it look like to sacrifice who I am for the sake of Jesus Christ and loving other people? And I wonder if that's something that you wrestle with too. Because it might mean to say no to certain things, to say yes to what Jesus is calling us to, to follow him. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does it look like to take up his cross? See, I think about cross, I think, man, in a way, right, maybe our theme is to come and die, right? Because this is the cross. The cross right here is brutality, it's humiliation, it's a long agonizing death. To take up his cross might mean that we lay down ourselves for the sake of the cross, which might mean we might be humiliated. There might be people laughing at us. There might be some suffering in life. Remember, Jesus suffered pretty good. There might be suffering in life as you follow Jesus. There might be things that you want to put to death in your life, sins that you've been continually going back to. 
There might mean that you have to walk away from comforts in life to follow Jesus. Say no to certain things to follow Jesus. So I wonder, what does it look like to die every day? What does it look like to, to give up your time for the sake of Jesus Christ? So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. This is him taking up the cross. I die daily. So the truth be told, the message of the cross doesn't really make a lot of sense. To die to yourself for the sake of something else. Dying to yourself doesn't make sense. But the follower understands that dying is the secret to really living. That the cross represents defeat. But for a follower of Jesus, it represents victory. Are you with me? That the cross represents guilt, but for a follower of Jesus, it represents an image of grace and mercy. That the cross that represents condemnation, it's an image of freedom. For the cross that represents pain and suffering, it's an image of healing and hope. For the cross that represents death, for a follower, it's an image of life. For the cross may not be attractive, but for a follower, it's a beautiful thing. And so what does it look like to follow Jesus? So you think of the first century, you think about a, a rabbi, right? A rabbi is a teacher. A rabbi would have disciples that follow. The rabbi would come to a disciple, like Jesus came to Peter, and said, Hey, I want to teach you something. And so in the first century, it's a big deal to be a rabbi and to be a disciple, And for most disciples, they were the cream of the crop, the best of the best that these rabbis, these teachers, would pick out. Namely, if you can believe this, most of them had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, moving on their way to memorize the whole Old Testament. They were serious. And so rabbis, teachers, would come up to them and say, hey, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. And what would happen is they would follow him wherever he went, anywhere. And so I was doing a little bit of studying, and I thought this was so cool, that it is like covering the dust on their feet. They'd be following the disciples so closely that the dust of the, dis- of the rabbi would go on the disciples' feet. I read this in a commentary. The idea of being covered in the dust of your rabbi came from something everybody had seen. A rabbi would come to the town. Right behind him would be a group of students doing their best to keep up with the rabbi as he went about teaching. Anywhere. Like even reports of going to the bathroom, they would be really close to going into the bathroom. They didn't want to miss a thing. Their eyes were right on there, and they followed as closely possible as they could. So we look at Peter, right? Peter gets called from Jesus to be my disciple, to follow. And he follows, and he follows, and he follows. What does it look like for us to follow him? What does it look like for us to be close to Jesus, studying what he has for us, knowing what he has for us? And I think sometimes we distort this concept of following Jesus. Because we see, come follow me. And then over here, we hear in Matthew 28, before uh, Jesus ascends into heaven, go and make disciples, teaching them the words that I've taught you and baptizing them. And then in between, we see Jesus' life, and we can learn from who he is right here, from the beginning to the end, for the three years he taught us. Go and make disciples. 
But I think it's weird because many of us here might say that we follow Jesus. But when we read that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, that gets a little bit uncomfortable for us to follow him as a purpose in life. And so remember as a kid, follow the leader, right? We did this with ASO. They would each have a ball. Each of the boys would have a ball, and they would just follow the leader. So anywhere the leader went, even behind the soccer goal, they would go. So why is it a little bit different here in church when, you know, you're, you're called to follow the leader, but sometimes it's like just following in your heart and not with your actions? Are you following? Are you tracking with me? So it's like, you know, this kid is just laying down with a soccer ball in his arms, just hanging out, and you're saying, hey, can you follow the leader? And he's like, no, I'm following the leader in my heart. What does it look like to follow Jesus, to follow him closely? Or another example. So for Paxton, if I said, hey, Paxton, um, my son, he's about four and a half, um, go clean your room, please. So he goes over in his room, and he's like, hey, oh, I got it. Dad, I just memorized it. Go clean your room, please. Am I good? Can I go now? Oh, no, no, of course not, right? Okay, he goes back and he says, Oh, I got it. I just, I know how to say it in Greek now, in Hebrew. I'd be so impressed for a four and a half year old. But he's still not understanding, so he goes back. And as a four and a half year old, he invites some friends over, right? And so they just start talking about it. And they said, what would it look like to pick up your clothes there and do it there and there and there? And then he goes back, and he's like, hey, Dad, we just talked about it. I just, we just had a meeting, and we just talked about what it looks like to actually listen to what you said and do it. But we didn't actually do it, but you see the point? What does it look like to be someone that as our Father in heaven, Jesus, says, go and follow me? We go, no matter our age, no matter our preferences, no matter our gender, no matter our skin color, no matter what, we follow Jesus. So this morning, are you someone that would claim the purpose in your life is to follow him? Are you someone that would be willing to deny yourself to take up his cross and follow him? That you could just say, you know what, the things of this world, they'll pass away, but my relationship with Jesus Christ will last forever. God loves you so much. God cares about you so much, and he wants what's best for you. And denying yourself of certain things, saying no and following Jesus, he wants to bless you. And he wants to show you his love, and he wants you to follow him. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and we thank you for your love. We thank you for what it looks like to follow you. And I know it's not easy. And I know we have a lot more questions than we have answers this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus, who was the ultimate example of a come-after-us, who denied himself all the things in heaven to put on flesh, to live a sinless life, 
to be someone who taught us how to follow, who died on the cross in an agonizing, humiliating way, who's loved us so deeply to give us this new life for many of us here, for all of us here, we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. So God, in our identity, in our belonging, in our identity of being your son, in our belonging of being part of your family, teach us, God, how to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.